At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. The show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Thursday, March 2nd, 2023. It's been 3,291 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27th, 2014 and 372 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Some quick housekeeping. There was a significant amount of fighting across the line of conflict, so today's report is combat only. Let's go ahead and get started with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and are only capable of effective attacks on a small area of the front, such as Bakhmut. Second, we assess that Russia has committed almost all available ground forces to Ukraine, and cannot maintain the current level of personnel and equipment losses. Third, we maintain the public infighting between private military company or PMC Wagner Group's leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin, and the Russian Ministry of Defense is fomenting unrest. There's a very small but notable chance that the ongoing provocations could spark Russian-on-Russian violence. Fourth, We maintain that the Russian Ministry of Defense is actively working to eliminate the influence of PMC Wagner Group and Yevgeny Prigozhin, both on and off the battlefield. Fifth, we maintain that Russia can no longer tap its strategic reserve of caliber cruise missiles and can only launch its monthly production of 25 to 30 missiles. With fewer than 30 caliber cruise missiles used for strikes on Ukrainian targets each month in December... January and February. Sixth, we are unsure that Russia's failed campaign targeting electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure will continue, with significant frustration expressed by Russian mill bloggers that the campaign has ended with no appreciable impact on Ukrainian morale, logistics, or war production. Seventh, We maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. 
Eighth, we maintain that the rhetoric being spread by the Kremlin and its proxies in the social media space, claiming Ukraine is preparing an unprovoked and unjustified invasion of Transnistria, is untrue. And finally, we believe the Kremlin is actively attempting to topple the legitimate government of Moldova. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. Mercenary mill blogger Rybar reported that Ukraine, quote, tried to recapture lost positions in Kriyanikivka and was unsuccessful. There were no other reports of fighting in the area. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported Liman Pirshi was shelled again, and the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported that Russian forces shelled Sinkivka. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. Luhansk Oblast Administrative and Military Governor Serhii Haidai reported that most Russian attacks occur at night, with artillery strikes happening during the day. The Svatova operational direction remains stable. The Russian MOD reported fighting around Novoselivsky, but did not make any claims of new territorial control. A video showed a Russian advance from Kolomichicha that was destroyed by Ukrainian artillery to the southeast of Selmachivka. Based on the video, we expanded the gray zone further west, but did not move the line of conflict. As with most of the photos and videos we reference here on the podcast, we do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. In the Kremina operational area, Russian troops tried to advance on Makivka and Nevsky from Ploshanka and made marginal gains, securing a couple of trenches in the tree lines. We moved the gray area several hundred meters further west. Fighting continued on the western edge of Chervonopopivka in the forested areas, with no change in the situation. Heavy fighting continued in the forests northwest, west, southwest, and south of Kremina. Ukrainian forces were pushed away from Kuzmine, and Russian forces made gains west of Shiplivka, attacking through the Siversky Donetsk River floodplain. Because of the constant changes in territorial control, we did not adjust the line of conflict or gray zone, with most of Serebriansky woods a no-man's land. Yesterday was the 298th day of fighting for control of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, with Russian forces attacking throughout the day. There was still no change to the line of conflict. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, PMC Wagner attempted to advance toward Fedorivka on the T-513 highway, while Russian forces attempted to advance on Vesele. Neither attack was successful. In the Solidar operational area, PMC Wagner continued attacks on Vasyukivka and Zaliznyansky, also without success. In the Bakhmut operational area, there was very little specific information from the combatants. PMC Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin reiterated that Ukrainian forces are not withdrawing, reinforcements continue to arrive, and, quote, tens of thousands of Ukrainian fighters, end quote, are in Bakhmut. Okay, in our assessment, it is likely that Ukrainian forces are not withdrawing or setting conditions for one. We do, however, question the veracity of the claim that tens of thousands of Ukrainian fighters are fighting in Bakhmut. 
For example, before Russian forces withdrew from the west bank of the Dnipro, they had an estimated 25 to 30,000 troops in the western Kherson Oblast and slivers of Mykolaiv. 15 to 20,000 in the city of Kherson. Factoring in the so-called defender bonus, if Ukraine had 20,000 troops within Bakhmut, it would require 60 to 100,000 troops to ensure the city would be captured. Prigozhin is likely trying to set conditions to maintain that he is a better military leader and a potential populist leader. Along the M3 or E40 highway, PMC Wagner continued attacks on Orikhovo-Vasilivka and Dubovo-Vasilivka with no change to the situation. Fighting continued near Berkhivka, with PMC Wagner and Russian troops pushing to the south and the west while trying to advance south and east from Yahidne. The GSAFU reported an attack in the direction of Khromova was repulsed. Russian forces have committed significant resources in this area because capturing Khromova would sever the last paved ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, into Bakhmut. It would not create a technical encirclement, but providing supplies, reserve troops, and evacuating the wounded would be significantly more challenging. Intense fighting continues in eastern and southern Bakhmut. Russian forces supported by PMC Wagner continue to try and push Ukrainian forces across the Bakhmutovka River, with no verifiable information on where the line of conflict lies. There haven't been any claims by any reliable or semi-reliable Russian source of fighting in or the capture of the meat processing plant. PMC Wagner advanced to the west bank of the Damba Reservoir north of Ivangrad along the T513 highway. PMC Wagner also continues to fight along the southern edge of the Mariupol Cemetery, where fighting is reportedly very intense. In the southwestern part of Bakhmut, the situation improved south of the MiG-17 memorial at the intersection of the T-504 highway and Korsunskoho Street, with Ukrainian forces pushing back PMC Wagner. In the Kostyantanivka operational direction, fighting continued near Ivanivske. Ukrainian forces have stabilized their defensive lines and reportedly pushed PMC Wagner back several hundred meters. Russian forces attempted to cross the Seversky Donetsk Canal and establish positions east of the T-504 highway in the direction of Chasivyar without any success. Further south, PMC Wagner and Russian forces attacked along the entire length of the Seversky Donetsk Donbass Canal, including attempts to advance toward Bilohora and Delievka from Kurdyumivka, as well as attempts to advance from Ozaryanivka and Mayorsk. It was the broadest attack in months, and exactly none of the advances were successful. Mercenary millblogger Wargonzo reported that Russian positions in Klishivka, Kurdyumivka, and Ozaryanivka were heavily shelled, and Mironivsky, near Svitlodarsk, was hit by rockets fired by HIMARS. In southwest Donetsk, in the Toretsk, New York operational area, the 1st Army Corps attempted to advance on Zalizny without success. The attacks east of Toretsk are probing Ukrainian defenses. The Avdiivka operational area continued to be very active, 
with Russian mail bloggers reporting the 1st Army Corps is being, quote, supported by Russian Mobix. Russian forces repeatedly attempted to advance on Krasnohorivka and across the H-20 highway east of Kamyanka, also without success. Russian forces continued to try and attack Avdiivka head-on and along the flanks. A Russian advance from Spartak toward Avdiivka was predictably unsuccessful. Elements of the 1st Army Corps continued attempts to advance west out of Vodyana along the northern edge of Pirovomaiske while attacking from the E-50 ring road near Piski and were repulsed. Attacks on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelske also continued, with no change in the situation. In the Marinka operational area, fighting in the center of Marinka and east of Pobida continued, also with no change in the situation. Ukrainian sources reported continued fighting in the dachas near Mikilske, while Russian forces heavily shelled Vukhladar. Moving on to Zaporizhia. There is no update on the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. There is a report that the Melitopol airfield, used as a Russian base, was hit by rockets fired by HIMARS. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OCS, reported 16 Black Sea Fleet vessels on patrol with four missile carriers, including one Kilo-class submarine. The flotilla is capable of launching 28 caliber cruise missiles in total. In western and central Ukraine, in Kherson, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery strikes across the Dnipro River. Russia executed 87 fire missions, firing almost 500 artillery rounds, mortars, and rockets across Kherson, including two strikes on the city, wounding 11. In Poltava, four Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones were shot down, with a fifth one striking a, quote, critical infrastructure facility. There was no other information at the time of recording. On the Russian front, Russian state media agencies Baza and TASS reported that the Bryansk villages of Sushane and Lyubichane on the Cherniev border were attacked by up to 50 DRG troops. Russian social media lit up with claims that a school bus was shot at, killing the driver and wounding a 10-year-old. Those claims were denied by Bryansk and Kremlin officials. Claims of up to 300 hostages taken were dropped to 100, then to six, and then no reports of hostages at all. Wargonzo claimed a power plant had been blown up, which was also false. Two videos emerged in Bryansk of members of the Russian Volunteer Corps, or RDK, claiming that they did not attack any civilians or take hostages, and that they had crossed the border to convince other Russians to fight against the Putin regime. Shortly after the videos were published, a photo appeared on Telegram of Denis White Rex Kapustin, claiming he was in Bryansk. Kapustin is a Russian national neo-Nazi accelerationist who moved to Germany in 2001 with his family and lost his residency permit in 2019 due to his neo-Nazi activity. He is, or was, wanted by the FBI and is also wanted in Russia. He was investigated by Ukraine for drug trafficking in 2019. 
Before being kicked out of Germany, he was in mixed martial arts, or MMA, circles and created a white nationalist clothing line. He fought with the Ukrainian Azov Battalion and was either kicked out or left in 2018. There are different stories there. On August 30, 2022, he formed the Russian Volunteer Corps, or RDK, which is not affiliated with the Ukrainian Freedom of Russia Legion, the Russian neo-Nazi terrorist organization Russian Imperial Legion, or the Russian Volunteer Bar 13 Military Unit Russia Legion. They really need to get more creative with their names. On August 31, 2022, an article linked to a Wikipedia citation claims that the RDK is part of the Ukrainian Territorial Defense in a statement made by the former deputy of the State Duma of the Russian Federation, Ilya Ponomareyev. On the same day the article came out, the RDK denied that any declaration or partnership was signed with the Legion, quote, Freedom of Russia and the, quote, National Republican Army. You may remember the National Republican Army is a terrorist organization that claimed responsibility for the car bombing that killed Daria Dugina on August 20, 2022. The Freedom of Russia Legion has no affiliation with the RDK. Some members of the RDK are or were members of the Ukrainian territorial defense in the past, but Kyiv does not accredit the unit. Kapustin was asked about this in the fall and said that issues were being resolved. The RDK aligns somewhat with the Russia Imperial Legion in their desire to remove Putin and develop a Russian ethnostate. While the Russian Imperial Legion sees fighting for Russia as acceptable for now, the RDK does not. Kapustin's Telegram channel is a bizarre rabbit hole of white nationalism. He simultaneously praises and condemns Igor Mangushev, the former Russian soldier and PMC Wagner-aligned Russian nationalist who was allegedly killed during a robbery in the Luhansk People's Republic. Mangushev is best known for holding a skull on stage, claiming he took it from a Ukrainian soldier at Azovstal. Kapustin praised Mangushev for his white nationalist views while condemning him for fighting for Russia. Kapustin's loyalties are not with Ukraine, with Pavlo Klimenko saying that Kapustin wanted to bring his brand White Rex to the United States. He was connected with Robert Rundo, the founder of the far-right group Rise Above Movement, which helped organize the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia in 2017. The event turned violent with three people killed and 38 injured. Rundo was arrested for his involvement in 2019, and the FBI turned its attention on Kapustin, ending his American expansion plans. Russian President Vladimir Putin is calling the events a terrorist attack, and in our assessment, Putin is unintentionally being correct. Today's incursions in Bryansk appear more terrorism-related by an accelerationist group. Anti-fascist Europe noted on September 30, 2022, that the RDK had an estimated 50 members, which just happens to be the same number Russian sources claim crossed the border into Bryansk today. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent... 
please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.